generation generation. Last Sunday we talked about when a nation forgets God. And by the way, if you were here for whatever reason, uh, there, you can go online and you can um, download last week's message. It was a powerful message from the Lord. If you heard it, you can also say, hey, I'd like a copy of that CD to give to a coworker or a friend or family. Uh, I encourage you to do that. I'm not, I don't think I'm anything in, in preaching, but God gave me a phenomenal message last week to help us deal with when a nation forgets God. We are in what's now a post-Christian nation. The United States of America is a post-Christian nation. We are no longer a Christian nation. We were once founded on Christian morals, but we are no longer a Christian nation. So, so two weeks before that, then I preached a message on God talking to Jonah saying, should I not be concerned about the great city? And, and God has been speaking to us as people that God calls us where we are to be a light where we are. Okay, and so if you live in this area, you work in this area, you're passing through this area, God loves all people. Amen? And God wants to see this great area know Jesus. He wants every nation, every tongue, every language, every person to know him. And so last week was a very important message about talking about truth. And uh, it was very important. And today's message is kind of a, a build up on that for the next generation. Because you see, young people, how many of you are younger than 40? Okay. How many of you are younger than 30? How many of you are younger than 20? Okay, how many are younger than 15? Alright, there we go. Okay, so, so here it is. We have a pretty good mix of people here. And so God loves all people. All ages, all generations, all colors, all tribes, all languages. Amen? Come on, amen? And so because God loves all people of all generations, He wants to be known in every generation. Say that with me. Every generation. But what happens is sometimes the faith of the fathers does not get passed on to the children. True? Sometimes it does. Sometimes it skips a generation. But God's plan is that the faith of God is passed on to every generation intergenerationally. So mom passes it on to daughter, daughter passes it on to their daughter, or whatever. And grandparents and everyone else involved, cousins, uncles, aunts, neighbors are all to be involved. Church members would all be involved in helping Grow one another. Amen? And so I don't know if you can see the slides. I apologize if you don't. But, but John 14, let me talk about this. John 14, 6 and 7. I'm going to talk some, some maybe deep concepts or some big words or little words. Some of you, you're so smart. You're just so Bible acute and astute. You just know everything. So I'm going to just maybe remind some stuff to you today. I'm going to bring some new thoughts to you. Some of you think, this is old stuff. But what I want to talk about, Jesus said in John 14.6, He said, I am the way, say the way, the, way. the, truth, the truth, and the light. Okay, let me say it again. So Jesus said, I, Jesus said, I am. Jesus said this, I am the way, come on, the way, the truth, and the life. Okay, so Jesus, Jesus said this. Jesus said He was the way, not a way, he was the way to God the Father. Jesus said that He was the truth. Not a truth, the truth. And then He says He's the life. Not a life, not a source of life, but the source of life. Now that sounds very seclusive, doesn't it? And you see our society is fighting with this concept. Say, so, well, no, see that's very closed-minded, that's very hate-monging, that's not very nice. Well, the truth is still the truth. And Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the life. And he says he wants to make himself known. Hosea 4.6, which is kind of one of the bases of the scripture, says, Hosea says, My people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject as my priests 
Because you have ignored the law of God, I will ignore your children. Now, this was an Old Testament saying, but God was saying to the children of Israel and Judah, you have rejected the truth. And you see, generations now have begun from a long time ago, 40s and the 50s, begin to reject the truth. And every generation has begun to reject the truth and begin to look for other truths. Would you agree? You only need to turn on the TV. You only need to watch the news. You only need to read the paper to see that truth is now becoming whatever you want it to be. Correct? But see, Jesus says, I am the truth. Right? Okay? So Proverbs 22.6 then says, Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. So it is the parents' responsibility, it is the aunts, the uncles, the grandparents, it's the church' responsibility to give faith and to help our young people and the next generation find and know who Jesus Christ is. Okay, see, here's the thing. Think about this. In, in the Old Testament, when, when the children of Israel wandered the desert, God would lead them by a fire at night and a cloud at day. And He made Himself evident. And so what happened was over a few generations, they began to stop following and they, they began to seek God less and His presence wasn't known to them. And then others would find the books of the laws and they began to worship. And so every once in a while, generations need a fresh awakening of God's presence. I believe that now is a time that we need a fresh experience of God's presence. Not just, not just songs, not just sermons, not just church meetings, but meetings with God. Amen? You see, our younger generation believes more in the supernatural about Elvis Presley and UFOs than they know about the real supernatural power of God. Seriously. They believe more stuff on TV than they do about the miraculous works of Jesus Christ. It's true. Why? Because we as parents, we as adults, are not teaching them or training them or wanting ourselves to encounter God so that they can encounter God. You see, Christianity is always one generation from extinction. True or false? True. You see, this nation is no longer a Christian nation because, listen to this, because the church has lost its place of respect and influence in the society. The church has lost its place of respect and lost its place of influence in society. We are no longer the church at one time. Did you know the church, many churches, started hospitals, universities. We, we were the leading place for culture. We, we had the best worship singers. We had the best musicians. It all cultivated out of the church. The best doctors, physicians, lawyers, everybody. Everything came out of the church. But nowadays, it's the opposite. The church wants to be like everyone else. We want to sing their songs. We want to be like them. We want to do what they're doing. Instead of saying, no, we have it. We have the creative God who gives us the abilities. We've lost that. Now kids want to be like Jay-Z. Kids want to be like, ew, boy, I don't even want to go through the list of musicians that I'm thinking about and seeing, and, and, and the athletes. I mean, we, we're seeing now professional athletes murdering people, and it's okay, right? I mean, you know, it's because we've left God. And each generation now is becoming farther away from God. So I'm trying to wake this you up. This is like a clarion call to the church. Remember, I said this last week, what is tolerated in one generation becomes the norm in the next generation. What we, what we are permissive about becomes normal. And so we've seen that. Again, I don't hate homosexuals, but, but the church has allowed homosexuality because it, churches began to ordaining and, and, and accepting leaders in homosexual, that were homosexuals. And if you look at the Bible, because I'm not a hater, I want to follow God. God specifically says not to do it. 
It is a sin. Well, that, what is sin to you, Pastor? And that's not sin to me. What's, God's truth is the truth. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. His truth is truth, no matter whether we believe it or not. Amen? Okay, now, let me move on, though. Unfortunately, as parents, we get busy with life. And God commands each generation to keep its relationship with Him dynamic. And unfortunately, many parents have relegated teaching our kids about faith and life to culture, schools, and the media. And again, as I said, you can just look at the media, watch TV, watch the news, look at your neighbors, and you see that our culture is unraveling. True or false? And listen to this. As many as 80 to 90% of teenagers abandon the Christian faith once they leave home. Did you hear what I just said? 80 to 90% of teenagers abandon the Christian faith once they leave home. Once they go to college, once they go to work, once they, once they get away from their parents because the parents have not deposited and helped them to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They have not shown them a real faith with the real God. Who is alive today? Who still does miraculous? Amen? So I want to talk about this. Let's talk about this. Who is influencing the next generation's faith more? Is it culture? Is it the Christian generation now? Hopefully it's the Christian generation. Hopefully it's moms and dads or grandparents, cousins, friends, uncles, church people. Here's the reality, okay? Here's the reality. Letter A is, is the next generation embracing true Christianity? I already quoted Hosea 4.6 saying that, that my people are, 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 are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. The next generation, they, they are very interested in spiritual things. They're hungry for spiritual things. They're looking for some spiritual experiences. The question, though, is what are we offering them as a church? What are we offering them as parents? What are we offering them as a culture? The question, then, is how is their view of God being formed? I have some stats. Here's some views. Okay, I don't know if you can see it very well, but 63% of the, this younger generation, this might even be 30 below, 30 and under now, 63% don't believe Jesus is the true Son of God. That's, that's a lot. 63% of that population. 58% believe all faiths teach equal valid truths. 51% don't believe Jesus rose from the dead. 65% don't believe Satan is a real entity. And 68% don't believe the Holy Spirit is a real entity. If you've not caught on, our kids are departing from the faith of their parents. Houston, we have a problem. Church, we have a problem. Amen? You see, they want to believe in something. But what they're believing is different from us. Much of what they believe about Christianity, truth, reality, and the church comes from a distorted view by their friends, their family members, uh, and, and what they're gleaning from the world around them. And again, it's not that they've not embraced Christianity. Their Christianity definition is different than your definition of Christianity. Their morals or definitions are different. In fact, I have it. I don't know if everyone can get one or every family can share one of these. Um, I, I want to go through a couple of definitions. And I know this is, I'm not trying to make this a lecture. But if someone could just help me pass out maybe one per family or one, uh, whatever, uh, share them. If we need more, we can get to you. I want to give to you some copies. And I have it on the slide. I want to give to you uh, um, some things that, that are, are some perspectives that our, our younger generation, their, their definitions are different than our definitions. So you're getting all this, okay? While you're getting that, I know it's hard to focus when they're passing things out. But here's the problem with a lot of churches 
at least in America, maybe other churches in other countries. It's not that we lack churches. It's not that we lack services or teachings. The problem is, I know this is hard for you to listen to this while they're passing this out. The problem is that the church in America lacks the power of God and ongoing encounters with God. Right? Alright, I'm going to wait because everybody's like, paper, I want the paper. It's very important. It's good paperwork, by the way. And thank you for passing it out. These are some definitions, okay? So, so now that you have it, don't try to memorize it. Put it down for a second. Just put it down for a second. Okay? You stubborn ones, I'm talking to you. <laughs> don't look at it right now. You'll, you'll look at it in a second. Okay? Here's what I'm saying. I don't want church to be a lecture, and I, I have a message from God, and, and we're going to look at this in a second. But what's happening is people come to church to be entertained and to be lectured instead of to be empowered by God. Instead of worshiping and having an encounter with God. You see, what's happening is we're teaching, whatever we're doing, we're teaching our kids, hey, church is just a lecture, it's just an activity, it's boring. Instead of saying, hey, kids, we're meeting with God today. And, and them seeing the power of God, them working through your life, seeing the miraculous. If they don't see it in your life, then they're not going to want it. And so the churches in America, we're lacking the power of the encounter with God. We have lots of Bible knowledge. We have great worship singers and songs. And I love all this. And VBS, I'm excited about VBS. I'm excited hearing my daughter Michaela talk about the great things that happen at camp. My youngest daughter Zoe is excited about going to kids camp. And I've been to camps as a youth pastor. And, and for kids. it's awesome because the kids, during the worship services, they rush to the front of the altar to worship with total abandon. And then during the message and during the altar times, the kids... Flood the altar saying we want God. Kids are saved. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're called to ministry. They're called to serve. Whatever the career they're going to go to. And it's exciting. But as adults, we're a little away. We're a little more dignified now. Hey, this is church. Well, this isn't camp, Pastor Stan. You're not feeding us food. So, hey, this, I, I, I'm an adult here. I'm educated. You don't tell me what to do. I'm not trying to tell you what to do. But I'm telling you, I'm asking you, do you have a fresh encounter with God? You can see your kids are watching, your grandkids are watching your worship, your service. When, when we come in late, when we, when we don't care about the songs, when, when we sneak out at the end instead of waiting on God. Our kids, our grandkids, they're watching that. And they're seeing that, hey, faith is not as important to them as they say it is. So every generation begins to step away from who God is. So, so let's talk about this. You have this little note in your hand. The, the word tolerance. This, these are things that our kids are hearing. So the adult culture tolerance is accepting others without agreeing with or sharing their beliefs or lifestyles. In other words, you're saying, hey, I tolerate you. I don't have to believe like you, but I tolerate you. But here's what the postmodern generation says. Tolerance means accepting that each individual's beliefs, values, lifestyles, and truths claims are equal. So when you talk to a young person, you say, well, I tolerate them. You say, well, I tolerate them. I don't accept everything, but I, I, I still love them. Their mindset is, I totally accept everything that they do. And it's just as equal as my beliefs. And you say, well, that sounds nice. That's, that's okay, but let's listen a little bit more. Respect. Respect says giving due consideration to others' beliefs and lifestyle choices without necessarily approving of them. The young generation, respect means wholeheartedly approving of other lifestyles or lifestyle choices. You see, there's a difference. Our definitions are different. We're using the same word, but our definitions are different. Acceptance. The current adult culture says embracing people for who they are, not necessarily for what they say or do. 
The next generation says endorsing and even praising others for their beliefs and lifestyle choices. You see, you might say, yeah, I accept people. And a young person says, I accept people, but you're talking two different languages. It's like computer language. See, remember those you, you computer people, like one is Cobalt and Basic? How many of you remember that old stuff? You know, it's like it's speaking two different languages. It might be using the same word, but it's different. It has different interfaces. And so, moral judgments. Certain things are morally right and wrong as, as determined by God. The next generation says, we have no right to judge another person's view or behavior. Personal choice. Personal uh, preference for the adults would be uh, adult culture. Preference of color, food, cooling style, hobbies, etc. are personally determined. Personal preference means preference of sexual behaviors, value systems, and, and, and beliefs are determined personally. Do you see what we're saying at? Are you following this? Personal rights. Everyone has the right to be treated justly under the law. The postmodern generation says everyone has the right to do what he or she believes is best for himself or herself. The last two, freedom, being free to do what you, uh, the adult culture says, being free to do what you uh, know you ought to do. The next generation is being able to do anything you want to do. And finally, truth, an absolute standard of right and wrong. The young generation is being taught whatever is right for you. And you see, there is the disconnect. That's why we're seeing another culture that says, hey, I don't believe what you believe, because we're not teaching them truth. We're not living in truth. So here's who a letter B. Are we responding or are we reacting? Are we responding or are we reacting? You see, each Christian generation has faced a changing and challenging society. And it's obvious, listen, it's obvious that the next generation no longer holds on to what most Christians consider to be the foundations of Christian truth. The Ten Commandments. The Bible. The, the biblical morals from the Bible. See, we must, not, we must not react with arguing with them or grounding them. Of course, grounding doesn't always help, right? Or telling them they're just young, they'll never understand. No, we need, again, we need to respond with the resurgence of true Christianity. Come on, amen? In Acts chapter 2, 42, in fact, I'm not going to read it all, but Acts 42 to 47, it says that after the Holy Spirit came upon the church, the disciples devoted themselves to prayer, teaching, to fellowship, and the breaking of bread. And it says the presence of God was with them strongly, and people were seeing the miraculous. See, that's what the church needs to get back to. Devotion to the Word, devotion to prayer, devotion to fellowship, devotion to the breaking of bread, and the expectation of God doing the miraculous every week in our lives, not just at church services. Amen? That the younger generation sees the power of God, not just hears about it. That they experience God themselves. They see God do the miraculous. They experience His, His presence in their lives because He is the way. He is the light. He is the truth. And moms and dads, it is your responsibility. It's my responsibility. Grandparents, believers in Christ, it is our responsibility to give them a resurgence of Christian faith. Not songs that we sing. Not Sunday school lessons alone. Not a sermon. We need to have a life-giving relationship with a life-giving God. Amen? And so we can't respond with arguing. We have to come back with a fresh encounter with God. So let's talk about the next generation's distorted view. I'm not, I'm not against the next generation. I'm just saying the next generation has been taught wrong stuff in the classrooms, from the TV, from some parents, from some religious leaders, from even some churches are teaching them distorted views. Remember, remember I said this last week and it's still the same today. The truth is the truth no matter what we call the truth. Truth is truth. Try this. 
Try opening the airplane door of an airplane that you're in at 30,000 feet and believing that you're not going to die. The truth is you're going to die. You cannot say truth is not truth. You cannot look at the sun when it's at full saying, well, hey, looking at the sun doesn't matter to me because that's the moon. It's not going to burn my eyes out. The truth is it's going to burn a hole in your retina. Truth is still the truth, whatever we call it. We might define it something else, but, well, I don't believe that. You can believe something that's not true, but it's still true. Do you understand this? And so we have whole new generations that are being taught that truth is whatever they make of it. Truth is whatever they want it to be. And you see, so what I'm going to talk about just for a few minutes, and it might be a little, I don't want to be lecturous, but it might be that I have to slow down a little bit, okay? Somebody's like, please slow down. Somebody's like, please hurry up and end, because I'm tired of this. Hopefully you're not saying that, right? You're not, right? Okay, no. The, the deception of relativism, you see this, some believers, listen, even some believers are starting to say this. Hey, everyone has the right to believe what they want. We shouldn't force Christianity on them. No, we should never force Christianity on them because that's not true faith. And yes, they do have the ultimate right to believe what they want. So then they might say, well, we don't have the right to tell people they're wrong, especially if they're nice people. The truth is still the truth. You could be nice all you want, but if someone's, if the bridge is out of the road and you're like, hey, the bridge is out over there. You're a nice person. But, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say anything. It's your choice. You know, hey. You have a moral dilemma. If the bridge is out, you're going to get in front of them. The bridge is out. The bridge is out, right? Well, they're nice people, but it may not be out for them. It might be out for me, but it's not out for them. Um, if the bridge is out for you, it's out for them. The truth is the truth. You, you catch what I'm saying? You see, relativism says, well, there is no truth. There are no defining things. No, there are defining things. And sadly, Christians are saying, well, they can believe what they want. They sure can, but we still have a job to teach them the truth, to live the truth out. Amen? You see, sadly, the next generation is being told there are no absolute truths that determines right from wrong. Many do not believe that there is a universal truth that is right for all people in all places, at all times, in all generations. You see, they've been conditioned, this younger generation has been conditioned to believe that each individual has been given the right to say and do what they want and what they think is best for them. In other words, everyone does what they want. The Bible talks about that every man did what they wanted and, and, and cult, their culture, their, their nation was destroyed. You see, this is relativism. Relativism says, I can make truth because whatever it is I define is what it is. It may not be relative to you, but this is what truth is to me. I know it's confusing for some of you. Some of you got this. But here's what Jesus said. Again, in John 14, 6, he said this, I am the way and the truth and the light. No man comes to the Father except through me. And he says, if you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you, you do know him and have seen him. Because if we see Jesus, we see the Father. You see, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the light. Now, well, hey, it could be other things. There could be other religions. All roads lead to heaven. Now, you know I've talked about this. All roads do not lead to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way, he said. You see, 270 will not take you to California. 495 will not take you to Jamaica. 295 is not going to get you anywhere in Africa. All roads don't lead to all places. Do you understand? And even when you have morals and religions and different faiths, they don't all lead the same place. And you see, the dogma, this is crazy. Now, I'm going to repeat it like ten times until you see how confused this is. The dogma of relativism says this. 
Listen to this. Rel- the dogma of relativism is that it is, it is absolutely true for everyone that nothing is absolutely true for everyone. Isn't that confusing? For some of you who didn't get it, I'm going to read it again. The dogma of relativism is that it is absolutely true for everyone that nothing is absolutely true for everyone. Wow, you talk about a contradicting statement. In other words, it's saying nothing is true for everyone. But that is so deceptive because there is truth. Right? You see, let me go through this. Let me go through a small list of of things that relativism is doing to our culture and to our generation. Okay, so the first thing, relativism, I I might have it up here. Relativism is, is, it robs us of a sense of meaning. Can you read this? It might be small. Letter A, relativism robs us of a sense of meaning. You see, if there is no truths, if there is no God, there is no meaning to life. And what relativism says, then you just stay active, you just do these things, you get involved, and you just stay busy. We have the highest suicide rate, the highest drug rate use. We have the the highest rate of just confusion in our society because we're telling kids there's no truth. And we're not telling them there's a reason to live. God gives everyone a reason to live. Amen? You see, if if there's no sense of meaning, there's no meaning for life. And it's hopeless and it's meaningless. And this leads to despair. Let it be the second part of relativism that's destroying us and hurting us is relativism leaves us with no criterion for moral decision making. In other words, the moral compass of a relativist is not the Bible, it's not truth, it's themselves. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't always trust myself. Stan Nelson does not always make the best decisions when I'm left to Stan Nelson's wisdom. I can justify a lot of things. Right? And you see, if there's no truth and I have no no moral compass and I have to go back to myself, then what happens? Every person does what they think is right and then you look at a society that becomes unraveled. True or false? You see, a, a person who has morals, who believes in moral truths, approaches a moral dilemma and they ask this question. Is this right or is this wrong? But you see, a person who, who believes in relatives, and they, don't, they, have, they don't ask it. They say, do I want to do this? Or will this action make me feel good or bad? You see the issue? No, Pastor. Okay, so if, if, if I take a gun and shoot someone, or I have a gun and say, is this wrong or right? It's wrong. And if I say, that's wrong, the Bible says, thou shall not kill. I'm not talking defense. I'm talking, I just go in the grocery store, I just pick up a gun, and I'm like, hey, you know what, I'm mad today. Let me see that, I'm going to pull out a gun. Morals tell me it's wrong to kill and destroy innocent lives. Relativism says, do what you want. There's no wrong or right. If you want to shoot someone and it makes you happy, go ahead. Why do you think we see more of this happening? Because we're not telling them. That's not, oh, well, they just have something wrong. Yeah, they don't have the truth. Do you see what I'm saying? None of you would like it if I went to your house, ate all your food, took all your money, and said, hey, it's not, wrong. it's not wrong for me to do that. You wouldn't like that, would you? There is truth. But the problem is we're telling young people they can do what they want. There, there is no criterion for decision making. You see why we have a problem in our society. Amen? You see, because if moral decisions are based on feelings or personal preference, disaster and follows it. Do you see what I'm saying? Are you following me? 
The third thing, relativism, listen, relativism deprives children of formation. We no longer, we're no longer encouraging young people to find out and conform to truth. In fact, I even hear people say, and I'm shocked when I hear them say this, but hey, I want my kid to discover their faith. You know, they'll, they'll discover, and I remember sitting in a college class, I don't remember, this was so long ago, we were in a class and we were talking about that, and, and the lady said, I'm going to let the TV teach my kids. And at this time, I was still just some young 20, 21-year-old kid. I said, I said, what? This is in the 80s, of course, you know, when TV was semi-safe. Whatever. And she said, I'm going to let the TV teach my kids morals and, and values. And I said, uh, what? Do you see what I'm saying? And so, so we're saying that, you know what, hey, every kid should not be hindered. In fact, relativism says, listen, let me just read this to you. Many are under the impression that kids can develop and discover who they are only if they are free from the morals of their parents, society, churches, and even their own bodies. And this is actually not setting them free. This is causing them a lot of problems. It's not okay for your kid to take a bat and beat another kid. Well, it's whatever they want. No, it's not right. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not right for you as a parent to let little Sally or little Jimmy or whoever your kid is, is, is eating candy all night and staying up watching TV all night. Well, it's because they want it. I'm letting them discover. No, you're allowing them to rule your life. And you're not teaching them good discipline and good morals. Amen? Getting really quiet here. Either you're bored or I'm stepping on some toes. You see, it's actually far from setting them free. It's actually cruel by not giving kids guidelines. Because children are still forming mentality. They're, they're still not totally understanding concrete thoughts. Not, they don't understand objective and subjective totally. Right? Their, their minds are not fully developed. Their, their souls are still learning and they want guidelines. And when you tell them just to do what you want, you're morally abandoning them. I don't care who, who and how, well, you, we're just freeing them. No, you're morally abandoning them is what you're doing. You're letting them be taught by whatever. Apply this principle of relativism to driver's education classes. Hey, just go where you want, do what you want, right? Can you imagine if that's what driver's ed was like? You would say, I would not get on the roads. It's already dangerous as it is, right? Come on, if we had the same moral relativism, hey, they can discover driving and whatever they want, and they can start. So if we say there's no yellow lines and you can cross your lines, what's going to happen? More people are going to die. And it's in the same sense that if we allow kids and we tell them, hey, there's no yellow lines for morals, they're going to drift into ruin. It's logic. Come on, right? All right, I'm moving on. Relativism separates us from one another. You see, the relativist says, I am the most important person in the universe. Community besides blood is it, it's not just, let me just repeat this. It's, it, blood relationships, community, ideas, principles, and traditions unite a people to create a nation or to create a group, a community of people. And when people unite behind something that's bigger than them, they experience unity. But a relativist would say, there is nothing bigger than us that we need to commit to. It's whatever I want to do in life. And so what happens is now we're separating people. So now people do what they want independently so you see what's happening to the moral fibers of, of the country, right? And relativism removes the notion that we need to conform to a reality that's bigger. 
it erodes the, the mortar of what society is about. Again, it goes back to everyone does what's right in their own eyes. Let me move on. Relativism undermines the right to life. Relativism undermines the right to life. Abortion is legal because of how a relativistic society comes to see human rights. A society that doesn't recognize moral guidelines or moral assertions that life is a gift from God, it enters into shaky ground. That's why abortion is legal today. It's because we don't say that it's wrong to kill a life of a child. We are now entering this gray area. And a society that doesn't recognize this is in trouble. You see, rights become favors granted by the state or by a majority vote versus truth. How many of you know majority can be wrong? How many authorities can be wrong? How many of you and I can be wrong at times? But God is never wrong. He's always right. He always has the best interest of people involved. And you see, one of the popes, and I can't remember which one said this, but one of the popes previous said, no rights are safe when the right to life is not. Go back to Nazi Germany. They began to purge people that did not agree with the government. And when we allow them to begin to purge children and elderly, we begin to lose our rights. And you see, that's what relativism does. It, it takes away the right to life. Let me move on. Relativism makes it easy for those in authority to manipulate others because we're on the same, we're on the same thing. When people don't think their rights are based on objective principles... They begin to see them as favors granted by those in power or by the majority. And such favors can be easily taken away by government authorities or by a majority vote. The founding fathers saw that rights were inalienable. In other words, everyone had rights given by God, but now the next generation is being taught there are no rights. The rights are given by the government or by the majority of people. And that's not wrong. Right. God gives everyone rights. True or false? I know this is boring for some of you. I've got to move on, but this is important because... This is what's being taught to our kids every day in the school system. This is happening in the universities. This is happening at work. This is happening when you turn your TV on. This relativistic mentality is being taught to us every day. And it is affecting the way Christians live their lives. It is affecting the way society interacts with one one another, right? The next part, relativism puts the freedom of speech under attack, right? Edmund Burke said, all that is necessary for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. See, a relativist, a relativist world equates that moral decisions and religious creeds lack objectivity. In other words, there's no truth to faith. And as a result, debating the, valid- the validity of someone else's claim is often perceived as nasty or hate-filled. So when they come to us and say, hey, you have no right to tell me how to live my life. I can pick my partners. I can abort my baby. You're closed-minded. That's relativism. They have, they, their conscience is clear because they've been taught relativism. The last thing, relativism destroys faith. According to a relativist, people that believe in an absolute God are deceived because truth is subjective and not objective. Truth to one person may be fiction to another in relativism. A relativist may say to you, hey, you say Jesus is God, but my dog is my God. You may laugh at that. 
But that's how relativists think. They say, there is no defining God. God could be anything. God could be the trees. God could be my car. God could be, could be the air. It could be this or that. And so, when, when you say, I believe in God, they're like, well, that's, you're closed-minded because there is not a God. But listen to this. God exists independent of what we think of Him, and He still exists with attributes that our beliefs cannot affect. Again, truth is truth. God is God. I can say I don't believe God. I can legislate Him away, but He is still God. And we need to teach the younger generation that He's still alive and that regardless if I agree with Him or not, He is still God. He has standards. He has ways. He has things for you and I to live. And listen, coming to know and loving God and following a living God is the goal of faith. Amen? Your goal in faith is to know a living God. Your goal is to teach your children, your grandkids, your neighbors, your co-workers... You see, such a relationship with God is not possible with relevance because they don't believe in a, a living God. If they can change His morals, if they can change what He says in the Bible, then they're not going to believe Him. Understand? That makes sense? Relativism is eroding the society. Relativism is sneaking into the church. Ken Ham, who has Answers in Genesis, it's a great, it's, it's a, it's a great website, Answers in Genesis. They come from a creation style, a mental, a Bible-based concept. And he says what's happening is why kids are leaving church when they're 18 in 80 to 90% is because we're allowing the schools to tell them what to believe. Moms and dads, you need to ask your kids what they're being taught in high school and college. Teenagers, young people, those who have gone through school and maybe you're, you're, you're graduated now, you need to question your professors. You need to question me. You need to look at the Word of God and say, God, this is real. Please make this real to me. Because truth is the truth. Amen? Let me talk about some distorted views. Are you doing okay? Let me talk about the distorted views of the next generation of the church. Church is boring. You see, Pastor Stan, I came to church and I hear you're, you're lecturing on relativism. Who cares? You need to care. You need to know this. Yes, I'm hyper at times. Yes, I pray for the message of God to be full of God. And this is full of God. You see, we, all, we also need instruction besides inspiration. You need both. And it's really deep in my heart that the church does not know what relativism is about. And the next generation, the younger generation... They say church is boring. And we say, and here, please don't hear me wrong. Let me just take a drink and I'll tell you what I'm going to say. We say to them, camp is fun. VBS is going to be fun. And by the way, it is fun. Camp is fun. VBS is fun. But what happens at camp is kids experience God. Last year at VBS, we had over 50 kids every night. And I think over 20 kids gave their lives to Jesus at the end of that week. That's what VBS is about. It is fun. The kids have snacks. They have crafts. It's fun. Kids go to camps, youth camps. And, and so what happens is we relegate Christianity to entertainment. The pastor's message wasn't exciting enough for me. Worship was okay today. It shouldn't be that way. You go to worship God regardless. I'm going to church because we're the body of Christ. You see what I'm saying? Church isn't always fun. Bummer, huh? But it's not about fun, it's about God. 
And so when we teach our young kids, hey, church is fun, and we go to these, we go to these uh, sensitive, seek, uh, se- uh, whatever, these, these churches that are trying to say, hey, wait, hey, have a cup of coffee, hey, have a couple donuts, hey, we just want you to feel good, oh, I hope you feel good, hey, don't want to offend you by teaching the truth, hey, woo, yeah, hey, church is fun. No. Church is about God. And sometimes it's fun, and I enjoy a good cup of coffee, and I try to stay away from the donuts as much as I want donuts. But it's about God. It's about being in relationship with one another. See, so church isn't always fun. So our, this younger generation says church is boring. Or church is nonstop activity. See, go to Sunday school. Go to camp. Go to youth group. Go to VBS. Go to Bible study. Go to prayer meeting. Go to worship meetings. It's just activity after activity after activity. And sometimes it is that way. But it should be instead of us going to activities, we're going to Sunday school to learn about God. And to learn of who He is. We go to camp. We go to youth group. We go to VBS. We go to Bible study. We go to prayer meetings. We go to worship meetings to know God. Not know about Him, but to know Him. You know Him by being with Him. Amen? So we've got to teach our kids it's not just activities. It's activities that have a reason. The third thing. The third thing. Church isn't the biggest influence in my life. The younger generation, this is a true statement, church isn't the biggest influence in my life. Studies show that parents, listen... Parents have three times more influence over their kids than their pastor. You have three times more influence, and it should always be that way, more influence over your children and your grandkids than I do. And that should be, that's the way it should be. And you see, their, their friends and their neighbors are telling them otherwise, and they're telling the truth. But listen to this. Did you know this? Church is seventh on the list of caring influence in their lives. Seventh. Church is the seventh influence in life. Parents first, their peers, their media, their politics. And I don't know, I don't know what's in between, but church is down seventh. Influence their lives more than God. Now, parents, you can influence them positively by being a godly parent. Okay, amen? Well, you see, unfortunately, we, we send our kids to youth group. We send our kids to camp, and you should send them. But you should also go to camps, too. You should also go to church, too. You should also have a relationship with God, also. Amen? I understand work, schedules, vacation, it's summertime. I understand that. But you see, parents... Well, let me say this. Friends of, of this younger generation have twice as much influence over them than their youth pastor. So when you send your kids, and we're praying for youth pastors, by the way, when you send them to the youth group, and we thank Christian Annette for the hard work, and Christian Annette and the youth pastors previous and the one coming, they're going to teach truth and life and relevance, but the, the kids sitting in those chairs are more influenced by their friends than they are by the youth pastor. And we think that if we send our kids to youth group, and I'm not saying, don't abandon youth group, by the way. Keep sending them to youth group. But don't expect youth group to change their lives if they're not seeing change in the home. Amen? Amen. If you're not living out your faith at home, you are telling them something different about Christianity. Reclaiming the next generation starts in the home. Number four, church just seems like a series of events. Here's what I mean by this. Church seems like just a series of events, and we're getting down to the end. In other words, church is more like a tennis match than a block party. Think about that. You go to a tennis match, and what do you do? You ever watch people at tennis matches? 
They go home. Now, what's a block party? You go, hey, how's it going, man? Hey, how's your job? What's going on? What can I do to help? You see the difference? Church has become a tennis match. It's an event that we go to watch. Oh, worship was good today. Sermon, eh, I'm going to go today. You see what I'm saying? We're teaching the younger generation church services are I go to get served, I go to be entertained versus, hey, I'm part of a community. You see, when you live in a community, and I know it's, it's strange now to know your neighbor. Isn't that weird? It's so anti who I am because you know I'm a very shy person. I, I like knowing my neighbors. I like saying, how can I help you? And so in our society, we all like, we buzz into our door, we shut the door, we lock it, you know, and we do our prayers, stay away, people. Then we get on our internet. We, it was funny, and I mean, I'm telling ourselves, last night I was, we have family that's with us, and, and the TV was on, but everyone was on their little electronic device. And I said, I remember when we had the, 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 the crazy, and we had, had conversations. I miss that. There's no community in that. I know the younger, excuse me, I know the younger generation, they're talking, I know they are, I know they are. But there is nothing like just face to face, hey, man, how's it going? What can I do? How can I pray with you? How can I help you out? I love that. And I'm I'm grateful for all the electronic, it's cool because I've, Reconnected from friends from college and high school from 20, 30 years ago. But proximity is better. Community is better. Amen? You see, everyone wants a relationship, but they don't want to just go to church. Mere worship, a mere youth service, a mere kids' church, it's not cutting it. You and I have got to stop making excuses. I'm too busy. Everybody's busy. We have to invest in relationships. Amen? So let's talk about this. Let me give you some positives. Some of you like, you're depressed, you're discouraged, you're bored, whatever. So let me give you number three then. Number three is this. Rebuilding the foundation of the Christian faith. Letter A, it starts with who? You. Not me alone, but you. Rebuilding Christian faith in this world, in this nation, it, it starts with you. John 15, 5. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Do you get that? There is a hierarchy. He is God and you are not. Do you understand that? And in him is life. Okay, and so he says, if you remain in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. In other words, God says, I'm going to give you every source that you need. I will give you power. I'll give you ideas. I'll give you everything you need. But if you, if you live outside of me, you're going to res- just, um, your life's going to amount to nothing. Not because he's being mean, but saying, I am the source of life. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Remember that? And so if we try to live outside of Jesus, we don't have life. But we live in Jesus, we have life. Amen? And so we must get our life source from Jesus. Amen? You must build your faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus takes work sometimes. Right? You have to invest in it. Number two, letter B. We need ongoing Fresh encounters with God, not just Sunday morning. I, we always, I pray, I'm, I'm seriously, I'm in here every week, I'm praying every day, God, we want to encounter you through everything we do, worship, prayer, message, the altar, children's church, nursery, rangers, impact, uh, Bible study, uh, but I'm praying that the Lord, more importantly, you have an impactful encounter with God every day, in your Bible study, in your prayer time, at work, when, when your co-worker says, man, I'm, I'm dealing with this thing, can you pray, and you pray, and God answers a prayer. That will build your faith. 
When you see the miraculous in your life, when, when something happens and you say, God, we don't have the resources and God provides, or God, I need this healing in my relationship, or God, heal my body, and the, and the miraculous happens. God wants to meet with you, not just on Sundays, but He wants to meet with you every day of your life. But we have this mentality, well, I go to church on Sundays, that's the only time. No, you can meet with God every day of your life, amen? So we need to have fresh encounters with God, ongoing, not just Sunday mornings. Churches, again, churches in America look like tennis matches. And that needs to stop, amen? If we aren't having fresh encounters with God, how can we expect the next generation to want our faith? Amen? If worship to us just singing a couple songs, throwing a couple bucks in the plate, humoring the pastor, that was a good message, going off, what are we teaching our kids? If you're not saying, man, th- did you hear what the message was? Did you hear what God was did at the worship time? Did you hear what that song was about? Kids, man, this is awesome. Kids, I know, this is, I know you're not going to like this, but we're going to start having devotions at dinner time. So it's like, we don't even eat dinner together. Because society is trying to keep you from having dinner together. I understand some of you work shifts and, and there's all kinds of activities, but you have to have a, a couple times a week where you get together and you pray. When you get together, you talk about truths. When you get together, and sometimes you have to correct what your kids are being taught at school. Amen? Or correct what's being told them at work or by their friends or you yourself. We have to have an ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ. Then the third thing, letter C, is you must believe and pass on the truth. You must believe the truth. Amen? You must believe this Bible. If you don't believe it, your kids are are less likely to believe it. They might because they might open it and the Bible is truth and they might be revealed to truth. But if you don't believe this word, there's a less likely chance that your kids are going to believe this word. Amen? Now I'm going to say something. You've got to listen to this, okay? The next generation will not believe it if we don't practice it. They don't want regulations. They don't want lectures. They don't want rules. They want to see that you obey what the Bible says. You, the parent, the grandparent, the adult, they're watching you. They watch everything you say. They watch everything you do. And I'm I'm not, because I'm, I'm, man, I make mistakes. I catch myself daily. Oh, God, help me to be a better father. So don't beat yourself up. Say, God, help me to be like you. Allow him to change you, Amen. Allow the fruit of the Spirit to work. Begin to have a real relationship. You see, so you must teach the truth. You must teach your kids the Ten Commandments. You have to teach them that. It's wrong to steal. It's wrong to kill. It's wrong to lie. It's it's wrong to covet other people's stuff. It's wrong to have graven images. You've got to teach them. I know it's boring sometimes. It's boring. It's truth, though. You've got to teach them the ways of Jesus. Amen? Teach them the principles. Teach them wrong from right. And then on this letter C of, of believing and passing on the truth, then you must model the truth. You must model the truth. Jesus said when a, a child is fully trained, he will be like his teacher. But when a child is fully raised, he will be just like his parents. And kids don't believe in moral absolutes today. Why? Gulp, I'm gulping as a parent. It's not just the videos. It's not the pornography. It's not the music. But our parents... As parents, it's our self-justification. It's when we justify wrongdoing by, hey, I'm only human. Or, you know what, I, I, every once in a while, I, I need a stiff drink. Or, you know what, I, I need to have this every once in a while. Or, and this is why I got rid of that, 
turning on the fuzz buster is the number one reason our kids don't believe in biblical moral absolutes anymore. Breaking the laws and justifying it teaches your kids that there are no absolutes in life. I'm not saying become a legalist. Oh, I've got to go. It's 55, I'm going to go 54. And of course, you're going to get everyone mad at you, right? You allow God to help you in your decisions. Amen? Your kids need to see that, that you did, if you didn't pay for something, you walk out and it happens. It happens. You go to the store and, and the bagger doesn't check something. Put it in your bag. You get home, you're like, oh my goodness. And your kids are with you. You can say, that's no big deal. You know what I do? I get it, put it in the bag. I take the receipt back. I go to the store and say, you didn't charge me for this. Why? Because my dad taught me that is stealing. But they did it by, it's their fault. It's the big corporation's fault. They have plenty of money. That's not right. It's stealing. I didn't pay for it. I should go back and pay for it. Amen? Do you see what I'm saying? With your actions, you're teaching your kids about faith. Or our lack of actions. Letter D, the last thing. Invest, invest, and invest. That's, okay? Invest, invest, and invest. In other words... You get, you get something, you get out of... Oh, you, let me say it again. <laughs> you reap what you sow, basically. You get out of something what you invest. If you, if you have five-minute prayers a week, that's your faith. If you don't spend time in the Bible, you don't spend time praying, you don't spend time worshiping God, you don't spend time being Christ-like all the time, your kids see your faith. And, I, and I'm not bragging and all that. And I, and I told you, I, I had a youth pastor friend of mine when I was a youth pastor. Um, he, he, he said to his, his, his son, said, Dad, you're a hypocrite. He's like, what? Son, I'm a minister guy. I love God. Dad, you're a hypocrite. I never see you read your Bible. His dad was reading his Bible in the morning before his son got up. And so this pastor friend of mine uh, began to read his Bible when his son was there. So I purposely, not trying to religious, not showing off, look, children, I'm reading my Bible. It is convenient for me and less distracted for me to read my Bible when everyone's still sleeping. But I choose not to. I wait for them to get up. I have a couple cup of coffee because it helps me wake up. I look through the paper so I can pray, oh, Jesus, help us. <laughs> or, yay, the Broncos. Oh, oh. sorry, Cowboys. Or Anyway, and so I read the Bible while the kids are getting ready. Because I want them to see that I love this book. And I have personal study. I want them to know this is an integral part of my life. It's not religious. It's part of my life. Well, you're a pastor. No, it should be part of every believer's life. Your kids need to see you reading your Bible. I told you about my mom. I, I would, times at night, I would go by my mom's room and her door would be shut and I could hear her calling out to God in Korean and speaking in tongues and praying in English. Oh, God, save my sons. Oh, God, you know, speaking in Korean. Speaking, and I didn't know this, but I learned about prayer by just listening to my mom's prayer, sitting by the door, healing her call out to God for her church, for her country, for her children, for her husband. Your kids need to see you praying sometimes. Not just, oh, God, let my team win. Oh, let me have a good parking spot. Let me have a good hair day. I mean, praying and calling out to God for stuff. You need to pray with them. Amen? You see, our kids see through our phony devotion if it's only on Sunday mornings. 
I'm going to speak here. Galatians 6, 7, 9 says, Don't be deceived. God cannot be, mo- God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Our kids, listen to this. I'm talking to you as a pastor because I love you. Our kids see our lack of faith if we don't tithe. If you don't believe that God can provide for you when, oh, I can't afford to tithe, then you're saying you don't believe in God. (gasps) Did I just say that? Yes, I did. 10% is nothing compared to the 90% He allows you to live on. Amen? Our kids see our entertainment faith if we only go to hear the worship or the preaching while while not investing our time, our talents, and our treasures in ministries at the church and outside the church. They see it. If all we do is just come to church, we entertain, we feel good, and they have good service for us, and they have ministries for our lives, and we ourselves aren't paying our tithes, we ourselves are not investing, saying, what can I do to help? How can I do that? They say, you know what? Their faith is not real. Now we know why 80 to 90% of teenagers, when they get out on their own, they abandon the Christian faith. It starts here. It starts here. It starts here. What are we passing on to our kids? What kind of faith are we teaching them at home, in the car, at work? I know you work for Satan's daughter sometimes. I know that. I know Satan's cousin is employed at your workplace. And they're a pain. But you can still be a Christian working under Satan's family. Amen? You can. Either get another job or pray for them to be saved. Well, Satan can't be saved, but maybe his little minions could be. His workers could get saved. Do you see what I'm saying? You're light. You're salt and light in those places. Amen? Would you stand with me this morning? Father, would you help us? Help me, God, as a pastor, as a father, as a husband. Help me as a, as a man of God, as a believer, that I would show real faith by having a fresh encounter with you. Would you again sweep over this church? Sweep over this country. Sweep over every church in, the, in, the, in this world that we would have real encounters with you, God, again, so our, the next generation would know who you are, not just by words, but by deeds, God. Father, forgive us as, as parents of being permissive of things that we would not ourselves even do, but we're allowing our kids to do, God. And the kids might say they might hate us. They might say we're mean, but Lord, truth is truth, and they need to know the truth. Father, would you forgive the church for becoming relativistic? Allowing us to allow the morals of the world to come in. Lord, when we need to have your morals, help us to live and practice the truth in front of our kids. That is the biggest thing that we must do today, God. Because, Lord, you are a living God. You are a God that wants a relationship with every person in this room. Lord, let us not come to church as a tennis match to be entertained anymore. Let us not come to church to say, well, this church is here for myself. No, we're here for you, God. Whether this is our home church, we're passing through, visiting, whatever, God. Whatever church we call our home, we need to be involved in it. We need to be tithing. We need to be actively helping. We must be praying for it. We must be bringing people in. We must be a part because we are the church. We are a community. Father, would you awaken this church? Would you awaken every church in this county, in this region, in the metro area, in this country, in every country, that we would be the changing culture? We would be the culture. We would be the center of culture once again. That the church would take its place back at being a place of influencing culture instead of culture influencing us, God. And it starts with every one of us as adults, as teenagers, as young people, that we will live the truth 
The truth is offensive at times, God. It will make people mad, but God, we are going to stand before you in heaven one day. And so, Lord, would you awaken the church again? Would you awaken us to truth? Because truth helps us give life, God. We need guidelines. We need morals. We need truth. It helps us to have healthy, lasting relationships, God. Would you, Lord God, would you show and make yourself real to every person in this room starting today? Not just in church services, but in their study, in their prayer time, in their struggles, in their victories, in their, in their workplace, in their homes, in the sports fields, in the malls, in the classrooms. God, that you're real in us every day. Would you answer questions? There are some in this room, and you just told me this right now, God. There are some in this room that are questioning your existence. And they are angry at you for this reason, or they have a question. Would you answer the question in their mind today by making yourself real to them? Lord, there is someone doubting about something right now. I, many of us, I might be some of us, I'm not trying to be weird, but Lord, there is someone that's really doubting because you have not come through yet. Lord, let them repent of their doubt. Let them let loose of their anger and let them say, God be God in my life. And you will take care of it. 